you can go ahead and turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. So this morning we're back into our consecutive exposition in Matthew. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be at verse 9 and 10. Just a quick reminder of um, how to hear the preaching of the word, how to think through how you regularly sit under the consecutive exposition of God's word on the Lord's Day. I want to encourage you to think about it two ways, and if you think about it these two ways, it affects the way you listen, the way you hear. This is worship, so we did not just pause worship, and now we're going to do this thing, but rather this is worship. We've sang to the Lord, we've remembered him in the Lord's Supper, we have called out to him together in prayer. And so now we're saying, oh God, please address us by your word, speak to us by your word, and let our hearts worship and adore you as we see you in the scriptures. So one, this is a time of worship, so brothers and sisters, worship over his word this morning. And then secondly, it's a time of equipping, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, it says pastors and teachers are for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So I want to encourage you to hear these words. And hear them in such a way that you're thinking about, I want to be equipped to serve my God. I want to be equipped to take and use these truths somewhere else past this day for the rest of my life and to help other people. So I want to to encourage you to hear with worship and this idea of being equipped for the work of the ministry this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. God, we love your word, and we love to be addressed by you. Your wisdom, your wisdom, Lord, is more than we can fathom. God, your willingness to speak to us and impart wisdom to us through your word is unbelievably merciful, Lord. We're so thankful. So please help us, Lord, this morning to read your word. To sit under, you are our king, you're our God. We submit to your will. God, please open our eyes that we might see wondrous things from your law. Open our eyes, Lord. We need eyes to see. Thank you, Lord, for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read chapter 6. We're going to read verse 9 through 13 together. This is what has often been called the Lord's Prayer. Verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not in temptation but deliver us from evil. And our focus this morning is going to be on the first half. There's six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. You got three and three and we're going to be on the first half, those first three, which is verse nine and ten. Look at it again. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, petition number one, hallowed be your name, petition number two, your kingdom come, and petition number three, oh God, your will be done. We're going to be focusing in on these two verses, and God willing, we'll take these two verses under eight headings or eight parts. So number one. If you like to take notes or if you have a study guide there in front of you, then then you already see this. But number one, we're going to look at the first two words there in verse 9. Pray then. And you can title this, Christians pray. Jesus says, pray then. And I'm saying, look, Christians, Christians are a praying people. Christians pray. And this is something we've already covered, so uh, we're just going to use this as a reminder but I do remind, I want to remind us as a church that, that prayer, a life of prayer, is the normal expectation for every Christian. 
A life of prayer is a normal expectation for every Christian. It's like breathing. When you're born, it's just normally expected that you would breathe and continue breathing until you die. And so same thing, when you're born again, that you pray and you keep praying and you grow in prayer until the day that you go meet the Lord. So Christians pray. Now we see this, if we, if we back up, remember verse 5, he just assumes it. He doesn't even command it. Verse 5, he just assumes it. When you pray, it says in verse 5. Then it says it again in verse 6. When you pray, and we're commanded to go pray in a secret place, meet with the Father there. Verse 7 says it again. When you pray. And then verse 9, Jesus says, pray then. Pray then like this. So it's expected that Christians would be a people of prayer. Now I want to encourage everyone here never to forget that prayer is a gospel gift. Prayer is a gospel gift. And man, knowing that motivates you to pray. It's a gift from Jesus Christ, a gift that Jesus purchased for us. I want you to think about that for just a minute. We were banished from the garden. We were banished from the presence of God. We were separated from God. Isaiah 59, 2, your sin has made a separation between you and your God. Banished from him, separated from him, exiled because of our rebellion. In Ephesians 2.13 it says, But you who were once far off have been brought near. (laughs) You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so you can pray. You can approach the Lord in prayer because you've been brought near. You had no right, but, but now you have a right as a son or daughter of God to come before him in prayer. You ever been invited somewhere and you just felt unworthy? (laughs) And this is what this is. This is we're unworthy and yet we're invited in. In fact, we're more than invited in. We're told, pray then. Go to God and pray. Number two, next two words says like this. Like this. Pray then like this, and you can title this point, a model prayer. A model prayer is being given to us in what's been called the Lord's Prayer. And so he says, pray like this. He doesn't say recite these exact words, although that, that can be done in a healthy and good and beautiful and glorious way. It can also be done in a wrong way. But, but we need to understand that right here he says, pray like this. Not just recite these words, but this This is an example prayer that Jesus has given that's meant to teach his people how to pray. In fact, you go over to Luke 11. The Lord's Prayer is given again over there. And it's given in response to the disciples. They see Jesus praying. And man, it must have been powerful. Because the next words out of their mouth is, Lord, teach us to pray. And he begins to give them the the same thing that we have here in the Lord's Prayer. And so it's for his disciples to learn how to pray. Now, if you remember, um, Jesus, he, he taught us already in this same passage, same sermon, how not to pray, right? So you go back to verse 5 and 6. He says, do not pray like the hypocrites just to be seen by others. Verse 7 and 8, he says, don't pray like the pagans. They go off of that meaningless babble, just words that have no meaning. This repetition, vain repetition, thinking that their many words will sort of earn God's ear. So he tells us, don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the pagans. But instead, pray like this. This is an example for his people. You really need to get that. You understand, Jesus would not even pray this prayer himself. At least not the whole prayer. Remember, this, the Lord's Prayer, it has in it, Oh God, forgive us our trespasses. Would Jesus ever pray something like that? No, he has no need to say, forgive us our trespasses. So this is a prayer, just Jesus telling us how to pray. Not like the hypocrites, not like the pagans, but pray like this. Here's an example for you. Use it and grow in prayer. Now I want you to notice there's a contrast. that The, the Lord's Prayer is contrasted. With, with the prayer of the pagans in verse 7 and 8. You see that? So verse 7 and 8. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, 
for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then. So, so instead, therefore, but, it's being con contrasted. Pray then, not like that, but like this, okay? So the Lord's Prayer is, is, is given as a contrast to the mindless verbiage in prayer of the pagans. So what can we take away from that? What can we take away from that? We can take away from that that prayer is, true prayer is meant to be a mindful, intentional activity, a thoughtful activity, not, a, not mindless verbiage before God, mindless babble, not that, but thoughtful, rooted in the will of God, rooted in the knowledge of God, rooted in who He is and what He's promised and what He commands. Prayer's rooted in those things. Now, sadly, the Lord's Prayer is supposed to be a contrast to mindless verbiage, and yet so often the Lord's Prayer has been used exactly that way. Just recited, and we don't even know what we're saying. I'm sure many of you have done that. I remember doing that we, in, in junior college baseball. It was a team full of ungodly, wicked men, and I was one of them. I only know one Christian that might have been on that team, and if he was a Christian, he was a weak one. And we'd get together before every baseball game, and we would all bow our heads and say, say this prayer right here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It was just mindless verbiage. So it can be turned into that, but that's not the point of it. The point of, it, of the Lord's Prayer, is, or something we learn from the Lord's Prayer, is that true prayer is full of understanding who God is and His will, the knowledge of Him. It even has an order to it, as we'll see in just a minute. Number three. Next phrase says, Our Father in heaven. Now you can title this point, Who We Are Addressing in Prayer. This is Who We Are Addressing in Prayer. It says, Our Father in heaven. So let's start there. Our Father. We get to address Him as our Father. Now listen, this was a really unique way uh, from what people were used to hearing, a really unique way that Jesus approached God. He called him Father over and over and over again. A very rare thing. I believe God was only called Father like 14 times in the Old Testament. And, and in those times, it was more of this corporate Father, not this intimate, personal, warm type uh, word that we have right here, Abba, Father. So he calls him Father. It's personal. It's, it's affectionate. It's, it's tender. Father. He says, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven. Now it's no surprise that Jesus, the Son of God, would address, address God, his Father, as Father. That's no surprise, right? But what is surprising is that he puts that on us. And he says, look, I know you've heard me say Father, but I'm telling you, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father... You bring that warm, affectionate, relational, personal. You bring that address to God. Now, I want you to hear the gospel beauty in that. The fact that we get to call God, and listen, that, that's how it is. It's not we have to. We get to call God Father. And I want you to hear gospel beauty all over that reality. Galatians chapter 4 uh, verse 4 through 6. It says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. Can you imagine it? God, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son to redeem, to buy back a wicked, wretched, undeserving, unworthy people to buy them back, to redeem them to himself, to purchase them with his own blood, to take their punishment, to absorb their wrath so they can be free. And then it says, and it says, he sent his own son to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. You hear gospel beauty in that? He redeemed us from the law that we might be forgiven. Man, that'd be glorious and it's true. That we might be justified, glorious and true. 
That we might have eternal life, glorious, true, but that we might be adopted, that we might be sons and daughters and call God our Father. The verse goes on to say, and therefore since your sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. We get to call him Father. There's gospel beauty all over that reality. True prayer, according to this model prayer, is rooted in the adoption that we have in Christ. True prayer rooted in adoption. Now, it doesn't only say Father. It says, pray then like this, our Father, and then it says what? In heaven. Our Father in heaven. And what we see here is the eminence of God and the transcendence of God. This is uh, eminence. His, his personal God, intimate God with his people. And yet transcendent, he's high, he's the exalted one, he's above us, he's unimaginable. The eminence and transcendence of God. Now, if one ditch, one ditch that you can fall in, into, if one ditch is to, is to know his trans- transcendence but miss his personal uh, intimacy that you can have with God through Jesus Christ, purchased for you in the gospel, if that's one mistake you can have i see his high and lifted up but i miss that i miss that personal side of god that i can call him father if that's one ditch then another ditch and probably honestly a more um, prevalent ditch in our society in our culture is to, to enjoy the idea of the fatherhood of god and yet miss his majesty To approach him casually. The fact that we call him father does not mean we come to him casually. He's father in heaven. He's not just father. He's the exalted father. So there's a way father can lead you to a place. If if you think of it wrongly and you miss, he's the father in heaven. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It's a really good verse that reminds us of this. Let me just read it to you. Guard your steps. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Be careful how you approach Him. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they're doing evil. Listen, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven. God is in heaven, our Father in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Be careful how you approach God. Be careful the things that you bring before Him, the way that you talk to Him. You know, Isaiah 66, verse 1 and 2, it it draws our attention to the heavens, which are His throne, and the earth, which is His footstool. And God says, all these things my hand has made, and all these things exist, says the Lord, but this is the one that I look to. The one who's humble and contrite and who trembles at my word. So we approach God with the gospel beauty of He's our Father, adopted by Him through Jesus Christ, and we approach Him trembling. Trembling before his word, careful in the way that we approach our God. Now, I think we should be encouraged that uh, when we go to God in prayer, we, can, we should consider both sides. We, we really should consider the attributes of God, what he's like, that he's both of these things. He's father in heaven. He's father in heaven. Isaiah 57, 15, it says that he dwells in the high and holy place in heaven. And then it says, and also with him who is lowly and contrite. God has universal uh, plans for the universe, detailed plans, sovereign plans for the universe. And God has little sovereign detailed plans for your little life. He's Father in heaven. Now, as far as how to approach God, one more point I want to pull out of this phrase, our Father in heaven, before we move on. Right here it says, our Father. It doesn't say my Father. It's plural. It says, our Father. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with praying, my Father. There's nothing wrong, just like we heard in the Lord's Supper. There's nothing wrong with understanding if Christ died for me, it's personal, singular. But it's not insignificant that when Jesus gives the model prayer, he says, pray like this, our Father. And the whole prayer is in the plural from verse, look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Not just concerned with my daily bread, but our daily bread. The people of God. And forgive us our debts. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation. The whole prayer, the entire prayer is set in the plural. This is a reminder for us that the Christian life is meant by God to be church-shaped. The Christian life is meant by God to be church-shaped. Not just you, not just you and your God, but us. It's meant to be, is your life shaped in that way? Shaped by the church. Now we have tendencies, as all of you know, toward rugged individualism. That we only think my father and my daily bread and my forgiveness and my temptations. Just worry about yourself. Just, just me and God. Worry about yourself. As long as you're not hurting others. Just this rugged individualism. Now, if you thought about it, what, what's one place? One place where we can at least still have our individualism would be in the secret place along with God, right? And yet, what do we see in this verse? Jesus says, when you pray, verse 6, go into the secret place where your Father is. And when you get there, how do you pray? Our Father. Us. Even the secret place of prayer has a church shape to it. Grace Community Church, be instructed by that. Be instructed by that. Does your life have a church shape to it? Are you a churchman? Are you a lone ranger? Number four, I want to highlight these three words in verse 9 and 10. Name, kingdom, will. So in the text there, your name, that's in the first petition, hallowed be your name, kingdom, your kingdom come, will, your will, let your will be done. Those three words. And you can title this point, a Christian's first priority. A Christian's first priority. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. Now, why do I say God's name, kingdom, and will is our first, or at least ought to be, excuse me, a Christian's first priority? Why do I say that? Well, I want you to notice the structure of this prayer and what comes first. Like I said a moment ago, just kind of glance at it, is six petitions. Number one, hallowed be your name. Number two, your kingdom come. Number three, your will be done. And notice, notice the direction of these prayers. Your kingdom, your will, your name, you, it's about you. And then the last three petitions, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us, number two, our debts. Go back down to verse 13. And lead us not into t temptation. So you've got the first half of the prayer is your, your, your. Second half of the prayer, us. You've got the Godward petitions, and then you've got manward petitions. Maybe a better way to say that is the first half of the prayer is wrapped up in the glory of God. And the second half of the prayer is wrapped up in the needs of man. God's glory, and then man's needs. Now, in this, what has first priority? Jesus says, pray like this. And he begins the first half of it just zeroed in on your name, your kingdom, your will, you, Lord. This is a reminder for us. This is instruction for us. Do not rush into the presence of God with a laundry list of your needs and your wants. Now, it doesn't mean we don't bring those things to him. Or that God doesn't love us in a way that he cares about our daily bread. Because he does. But don't rush into his presence that way. Come to him with your name. Your kingdom. Your will. Your glory. He's giving us instruction of what's first priority here. Now many prayer meetings have died a horrible death because they neglected this idea. You ever been in a prayer meeting like that? Alright let's take up prayer requests. What are we praying for? Let's pray for... Ain't Susie's, Susie's surgery. And let's pray for uh, so-and-so's job situation. Let's pray for... 
And there's nothing wrong with that. That's beautiful to get to do that together. But so many prayer meetings have died because it's wrapped up in just the needs of men and missed the glory of God. What about prayers that are flowing out of your heart for his name, his kingdom, and his will? And so I would like to encourage all of us in our prayer lives, our lives of prayer, not to be restricted to the needs of men, but remember to cry out to God fervently towards him, these Godward petitions. Now, these three things, God's name, so again, these three words, God's name, God's kingdom, God's will, these are Christian obsessions. At least when we're walking healthy, we are obsessed with these things. And when we're not walking healthy, we ought to be obsessed with the name of God, the kingdom of God, and the will of God. God's people are not merely occupied with what God gives them, my daily bread, but they're obsessed with God himself, your name, your kingdom, your will. You hear it in the song. I was thinking about this in the songs we sang just a moment ago. We never sing songs like this, give us our daily bread, do we? Now, I'm not saying that would be all for you can't have a line in a song like that. But we're just a people that when we sing, it's worship to our God. It's God-centered, not man-centered. And that gets into everything in life and even our prayer life. So, so what are we obsessed with? What are the three Christian obsessions? God's glory, that's his name, your name. God's rule and his reign as king, that's your kingdom. And God's pleasure, God's delight, that's his will, God's will. So real quick, before we talk through how to pray these things, I want, to, I want us to think for a minute of, um, what does it look like for a Christian to be obsessed with these three things? What does it look like for a Christian to be obsessed with, number one, the name of God? The name of God. Well, first you got to understand what the name of God is. Listen, when, we hear, when you hear in the scripture, and this is important, this will affect the way you read the whole Bible. When you hear the name of the Lord is a strong tower, or blessed be your name. We're not talking about letters and sounds come out of your mouth. G-O-G-O-D, God. Man, what an awesome name. It's not what we're talking about. When you're talking about the name of the Lord, you're talking about God himself, who he is, who he's revealed himself to be is his name. Just like you make a name for yourself and what you do and how you, how you carry yourself. You make a name for yourself. So the name of the Lord is who he is, who he's shown himself to be, his reputation. We see that in verses like in 1 Chronicles, I believe it's chapter 17, verse, yeah, verse 21, where it says that God made a name for himself by great and awesome deeds. God made a name for himself by great and awesome deeds. Or Psalm 910 says this, those who know your name will put their trust in you. Now that doesn't mean that everybody that, oh yeah, I've heard of G-O-D, God. That doesn't mean they trust him. But when you know his name, when you, when you know his reputation, you know what he's like, you know him. You know what he's revealed himself to be. You know his name. This is the name of God. So what's it look like for us to be obsessed with the name of God? This is to adore him in all the ways that he's revealed himself. We adore our God and we want other people to adore our God, to worship our God. Obsessed with the name of the Lord. Second one, what does it look like to be obsessed with the kingdom of God? Now, the, the kingdom of God, your name, your kingdom, the kingdom of God is a theme throughout the whole Bible. The whole Bible, literally. You can go read Genesis and grab everything that tells you about what the Messiah is going to be like, the promised Messiah. And he's promised from Genesis to be the one that holds the scepter, the one from Judah that holds the scepter, the king, to whom will be the obedience of the peoples. The peoples on planet earth will obey him and bow down to that king and he'll crush Satan's head. That's Genesis. You can read other places. Go to Daniel. And the whole theme of the book of Daniel is that the kingdoms of men rise and fall. They rise and fall and they rise and fall. But there's an eternal king. And an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that has no end, and it pictures it as this little stone 
that struck at the base of all the nations that rise and fall and, and crumbled all of it. And then that little stone turned into a mountain that filled the whole planet. The kingdom of God. In Habakkuk, it says that his rule and reign and his glory will fill the earth like waters cover the sea. The earth will be full of his praise. Habakkuk 3.3. Malachi chapter 1. From the rising of the sun unto the setting. That's one end of the earth to the other. From the rising of the sun to the setting. My name shall be great among the nations. Verse 14. I am a great king, says the Lord. And I will be exalted among the nations. This whole kingdom idea, this Messiah king that's coming, and then he came in Christ. He fulfilled the prophecies. So what does it look like to be obsessed with this, this kingdom? The king, the king and the kingdom is to adore the king, to be enamored with the king, to be occupied with the expansion of his kingdom. In the consummation of his kingdom and the second coming of Christ to be wrapped up in these massive things. The kingdom of God. And the last one, his will. What does it look like for a Christian to be obsessed with his will? His will. God's will is what he wants. What he desires. What he designs. What he delights in. What is his pleasure? And this doesn't mean... hey. hey don't be obsessed with your will. You know, it's good and all, but go to his will. You have to. No, no. God's will, Romans 12, 2, is good and pleasing and perfect, it says in that verse. His will is good and pleasing and perfect. What does it look like for, for us to be obsessed with the will of God? We want to know the will. We dig into God's word. We want to know his will. We want to know what he's like. We want to know his promises. We want to conform our lives to his will. What delights your heart, O oh God? And that's our obsession. Let me read to you a really good picture of this. I read this week in 2 Samuel. This is 2 Samuel 23. I'm going to read starting verse 14. So you got David and his armies on one side. And the Philistines and their army are on the other side. And the Philistines have taken over the Bethlehem area, which is where David's from. They've taken over his hometown. And that's where their battle lines are, at Bethlehem. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly. So just try to imagine him. He's not commanding anybody anything. He's just longingly... He knows the Philistines are in Bethlehem, his hometown, and he's longingly saying what? What's he saying? Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Oh, I remember that well with that water, good water. Oh, that somebody could bring me water. You know, but the Philistines are there. Oh, that somebody could bring me water from that well in Bethlehem that's by the gate. You know what his mighty men did? There's three mighty men. It says this. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But David would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who went at the risk of their lives? Isn't that a good picture of us with our king? That we just, we're obsessed with his will. That when we just get a little glimmer, a little glimpse of what he longingly says, what he delights in, what his pleasure is, we're like those three mighty men willing to risk our lives, willing to break through a Philistine garrison just to do what? Just to get him a drink of water. We love the will of our God. And so listen to me. These three words, name, kingdom, will, Christian obsessions. And when we're obsessed with these things, it affects our prayer life. It affects our prayer life, which takes me to number five. Let's go through these three petitions. Hallowed be your name. You could title this point, A Prayer for God's Name to be Glorified. Hallowed be 
your name. Now, we've already defined the name of God. We've already defined his name. It's his reputation. It's who he is. It's what he's shown himself to be. Hallowed be your name. But hallowed, what does that mean? We don't use that word much anymore, hallowed. It's in the same word family as holy. Holy be your name. And this isn't just, a, this isn't just an, an exclamation, you are holy. This is a prayer. Let your name be holy. Let your name be holy. That's the idea of this prayer. Now here's the thing, God is holy. God is set apart. The word holy means he's set apart. It means there's none like him. In all of his attributes, they're all holy. There's none like him. God is in a category all by himself. So he's already like that. Now why are we praying, let your name be holy? Because we're asking God, God, bring the realization of that. Your name is holy. There's none like you. But bring the realization of that into my heart. And in this church... And in this world, let us see it, God, that you are holy and there's none like you. That's the prayer. God, show your name to be holy. Now, that same word translated hallowed here is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter 3, 15, where it says, set apart Jesus in your hearts as holy. Set apart Jesus in your hearts as holy. Or some of the verses say, in your hearts in your hearts, it says, set him apart as holy. So he, he, it's something that happens in your heart that you know that he's, he's the holy one. Okay I, I read the, okay, I read facts about God, but man, I know it in my soul that there is none like this God. There's none like this king. And we're praying, God, help us to see that more and more. Help us to feel that in our heart. Hallowed be your name. This is a prayer that God would be glorified. And, and, and you, many of you know this. And if you don't, you need to know this. It's massively important. The glory of God, the importance of the glory of God in the scriptures. The importance for the Christian to live a life that glorifies God. The scripture talks about this as the highest reason for your existence. Why do you exist? Why are you breathing? Why has God put breath in your lungs? Why? What's the reason? And the highest thing I can tell you, maybe I can tell you other things up the list, but the highest we can go is for his glory. Isaiah 43, 7, my people whom I created for my glory, they shall declare my praise. It goes on to say, the highest reason for your salvation is the praise of his glory. Over and over again in Ephesians 1, it talks about your salvation that way. What's the highest reason that I can give for the reason Jesus saved you? Why? It says it three times. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glory. It's the highest reason for your existence. The glory of God. It's the highest reason for your salvation. And it's the highest aim, or at least it ought to be, the highest aim of our lives. And therefore, it's the highest peak of our prayers. When you, when you take all your prayers, all your time in the secret place, all your time in public prayer, when we come together and pray in this meeting and pray in the fellowship groups, when you pray, when you call out to God, does it seem clear that the highest, the highest peak of your prayers, where you go back to again and again, is hallowed be your name. Let your name be counted holy and glorious and good. Hallowed be your name. It's a reminder that life's not about you. Not even good things like your daily bread. Life's not about you. Life is about God. And this should be reflected in our prayers. True prayer is rooted, rooted in worship to God. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Number six. The phrase here, your kingdom come. Now that's a prayer concerning the coming and the consummation of the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. He's telling us to pray prayers about the coming and the consummation of the kingdom of God. It's a reminder that true prayer, yes, it's to our Father, and that's beautiful and gospel, gospel gift. 
And it's also servants bowed down to their king. Your kingdom, you are king. Your kingdom come. Now, as we've already, I hope you already hear this, but when you think of the kingdom of God, your kingdom come, when you think about the kingdom of God, this is huge stuff. Massive, massive stuff that he's saying pray about. Think about the kingdom of God. This is about his rule and reign in your heart. This is about his all nations people that are, that are being raised up as Jesus does what he promised when he said, I will build my church. This is about all the systems of the world and all the, the, the schemes of Satan just crumbling and falling when Christ returns. This is about everything bending to the will of our great God. This is massive stuff. Huge stuff. It's about the second coming. And I want you to think about this. How can, how can little puny Ron Sullivan or any one of you, little puny people like us, have any effect whatsoever on the kingdom of God? On this massive global stuff? How in the world can we have an effect? I'll tell you how. The secret place of prayer. He tells you to pray like this. Pray your kingdom come. You can impact these things. He doesn't say, look, just, just pray about your, little, your felt needs. He doesn't just say that. He does tell us to bring that. But he doesn't say, hey, I got all that big stuff. Don't worry about that. Just pray about your felt needs. No, he, he pulls you in to this massive stuff of his name being glorified. His kingdom come. He says, I want you to pray about that stuff. So Christian, I want you to be encouraged that on your knees you can affect souls on your knees you can affect nations on your knees you can affect injustices in the land on your knees you can affect the building of the church you can affect china where our brother and sister are laboring you can affect peru where our brothers and sisters are laboring there you can affect these places on your knees when you pray pray like this your kingdom come and then number 7 it says your will be done and you could title that a prayer rooted in the will of God. Jesus is saying, pray like this. And here's a prayer rooted in the will of God. Your will be done. Now here, we're reminded right here with this, with this petition, we're reminded that prayer is not us trying to bend God's will to our will. That's not true prayer. In true prayer, we go to God already bent to his will. Whatever you command us, we'll do. Wherever you send us, we'll go. Whatever you want, Lord. Whatever delights you. Whatever brings you pleasure, Lord. This is what we want to pray. Your will be done. Now this drives us to know and discover in the word of God what the will of God is. And then begin to pray in response. Pray in response to his will. Now too often, I believe... Our prayers get dominated by things that we don't know if that's his will or not. And it's okay to pray those things. I'm not saying you can't ever pray those things. Okay? But so often our prayers are just dominated by just the felt needs in the moment and things that we're not sure what his will is. And I'm saying we need our prayers to be dominated by what we know in God's word. By what's been revealed as his will. Massive things all the way down to small things. This is a good pattern. Read the word. Pray. Read the word, pray. Think about the word of God. Think about what it said. Think about his promises. Think about his design and then pray. It's a good pattern to be in in prayer. Number eight. It says here, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. And you can title that point, a prayer for heaven to come down. Prayer for heaven to come down. Now, you can connect that phrase to all of the first three phrases. So, so, Lord, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's sweet to think about. How is our God's name hallowed in heaven? 
How is he worshipped and praised and counted as holy in heaven? You think about those passages where multitudes of angels are bowed down and even hiding their face saying, holy, holy, holy. And we're saying, oh God, bring that down to the earth in abundance. How, how obvious is it in heaven that our God sits on his throne as king? We're saying, oh God, make that obvious here on earth. And his will, how is his will performed and done in heaven? God, bring that down. It's a good verse about the angels in heaven. Psalm 103. Listen to this. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Oh God, bring that down on earth as it is in heaven. Bring heaven down. Again, this is huge stuff. The first half of this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is massive, global, kingdom of God, his glory, his name, his will, pulling down heaven. This is massive stuff. This is, this is Isaiah 64 type prayers. Listen to this. Isaiah 64, verse 1. You ever pray something like this? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. This is massive stuff. Brothers and sisters, pray massive prayers to God. He can handle it. And Jesus makes it clear here that he can handle it. Now that's the first half of the Lord's Prayer. And here's, here's what's true. Jesus gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer to teach us how to pray, to help us to learn how to pray. And I just want to close with this. I want to close by exhorting all of my brothers and sisters here, grow in prayer. Let's strive to grow in prayer. Now, let, now we need to hear that, especially in the culture that we're in. The, the culture that we're in is that sort of, uh, well, it's just how I am, culture. It's just the way I am. Well, I can't. I'm just introverted. It's the way I am. I'm just not a morning person. I'm not a morning person. It's the way I am. Everything's like that. Like no room for growth. Do you know what God's word says about growing? 2 Peter 3.18 says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Christian life is a growing life. It's not, well, I'm just like this. I guess I was made that way. Tap out. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 is talking about even your love, your love for the brethren. It said, I want it to increase more and more. That's growth, more and more. Oh, I love the brethren. Yeah, but I want to increase more and more. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Christian life is sanctification, it's growth. It's Romans 8, 29, being conformed to the image of his son. So I want to exhort you. In this culture, that whatever, whatever your life of prayer has been like up to this point, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's grow in prayer. Let's not be stagnant in the Christian life. Let's do whatever we have to do. In whatever way we have to strive. Whatever decisions we have to make. So that we can grow in all these areas. Knowledge, word of God, character, love. But especially as Jesus is urging us here to grow in prayer. Pray then. He says like this. Pray like this. Grow in praying like this. I'd encourage you to let the structure and the content of the Lord's Prayer give you guidance. Think about your prayer life. And we're about to pray here in just a moment. But think about your prayer life walking through all of those things. Hallowed be your name. And then pray off of that. Your kingdom come and pray off of that. Your will be done and then pray off of that. And we'll continue into the second half of the Lord's Prayer next week. Let's pray.
God, first, we just want to thank you for the privilege of getting to pray to you. Lord, I know that there's times that we have taken it for granted and approached your throne flippantly. And we're sorry for that, Lord. God, I pray that you would grow us. God, we've had times where we've walked in prayerlessness. What you say in your word is a sin against you, Lord, to be prayerless. God, please forgive us for that. Lord, I pray that you would grow us in this, Lord, of of what it's like to come to you. Help us to see clearly these glorious truths that, that, Lord, you are, God, you are our Father. And you've made us to be born again so that we can be sons and daughters of you, adopted. We give you praise, God, so we come to you as our Father, Lord, our Father in heaven, none like you, God. Help us to tremble before your word and come to you as our Father. Help us, Lord, please. Lord, hallowed be your name. Lord, I pray that you would do that in all of our hearts, God, that you would cause our hearts to see, to open the eyes of our hearts that we might see how holy you are, how glorious you are in all of your attributes, Lord. Help us to see. And I pray, God, you'd help us to spread that knowledge, that spiritual sight. Help us to spread it all over this city and all over the world. Your kingdom come, Lord. You're a glorious king. God, give us the boldness to preach your gospel and spread your kingdom. Advance your kingdom, Lord, all over this planet. In our family, our jobs, Lord. In our city, in the nations. Let your kingdom come. Lord, we long for that day when you return and you set everything right. You come with 10,000 angels. (laughs) It's glorious, Lord. Your will be done, Lord. God, give us hearts that will to do your will. Your will is good and pleasing and perfect, and we give you praise for it. And we we bring this to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.